In this episode of the uh, cough drop, stuck. I almost swallowed it. <laughs> you be ah, choking up. All right, ready? In this episode of the Full Nerd, RDNA two and ATX twelve VO. Welcome to the Full Nerd, episode 128. I'm your host, Gordon Maung, with co-host Brad Charkas. Hey, Internet. Elena is scared of germs today. And Anna Patrick Murray controlling the vertical and the horizontal. Uh, can I stop for a second and just express my annoyance of the splash screens on Adobe products? Like, the, the newest Photoshop one has this little girl, like like a mermaid, like sitting on the arm of a chair looking out a window, holding a teddy bear. I hate that splash screen. I just hate it. Really? Yeah. You know what I'm talking about, though, right? You know, when, it, when you first load it up yeah, and it's yeah. got all the... Like, you know, copyright stuff. Like, uh, there's some of them where I'm like, yeah, okay, yeah, whatever. But that one, ooh, that one. Just maybe you should get Optane Drive. It wouldn't be on the screen that fast. Yeah, you think so? Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Fun fact, I have never touched Photoshop in my life. Oh, wow. Really? What do you use? I'm I'm super simple. I've used GIMP for stuff that I needed to. But in general, I just use Irfan View and Paint, man. Is uh, Thomas Knoll still the first name on Photoshop, though? Uh, I couldn't tell you that one. No, nope. I'm, I'm, yeah, usually I'm just staring intensely at that image and, and not liking it. Yeah. Think about it. If you had to launch that on a hard drive though, that would be like, uh, <laughs> exactly. And then just kind of watch it loading all the little plugins. Yeah. That'd be terrible. Well, you know, one, one thing I am excited for is our DNA two, right? And we got some yeah. big news, right? Yeah. It was actually surprisingly interesting. Uh, last week, AMD had its financial analyst day, which is like six hours long and as boring as you think it would be. But that what they do that's really interesting is Sprinkle in looks at their future roadmap. So these financial analysts know what's going on, what's coming down the pipeline, how AMD is doing, etc. And they actually gave us some new information about RDNA 2, which is the follow-up to AMD's current RDNA architecture, Navi, uh, in the RX 5700, 5600, and 5500 right now. And it looks pretty interesting, actually. Uh, so a lot of the ones that caught headlines, we actually knew already. So it's going to have real-time ray tracing based on Microsoft's DirectX ray tracing, which we knew because the consoles are going to have that. Uh, it's also going to have variable rate shading, which is a really cool technology. Uh, but again, console, we already knew that was coming to the Xbox Series X. NVIDIA introduced it in Turin. Uh, but there were a couple really cool announcements coming about about RDNA 2. The first one being that they're targeting a 50% performance per watt increase from current gen RDNA to RDNA 2, even though it's still on 7 nanometers. So that's that's really eye-opening. So obviously the way you know chips and technology works, the less power you can use, either one, you can use it for less power, or two, you could drive more performance out of it typically. And they, in fact, said that with RDNA 2, they're going to be releasing top-of-the-stack kind of products, uh, like 2080 Ti competitors. They didn't say that out loud, but they said uncompromising 4K, which is really exciting. Uh, And the way they're able to do that is not only, or I'm about to get into speculation mode, so just putting that out there. All right. So I did an article about how AMD's new CDNA GPUs could alter Radeon gaming forever so they also announced 
uh, uh, new specific workstation data center focused compute focused cDNA graphics architecture, which is going to be like the sister to RDNA, which is the consumer version. Uh, it's kind of like what NVIDIA does with its Tesla cards. It's basically the same thing as the consumer ones, but just bits are rejiggered to be better optimized for the task. So the cDNA cards will have more hardware in it that's better for compute and data center tasks, like with NVIDIA does with Tesla. Uh, AMD's never been able to do that because they just simply haven't had the money to support two architectures like NVIDIA does. So they're going to start doing that with cDNA. Whatever, who cares about data center? The cool thing about that is they can also take the opposite approach with RDNA because they've only had one architecture forever. They had to build both compute and gamer capabilities into all their GPU architectures. So now <clears throat> that cDNA is going to be a thing. That also means that AMD can better optimize RDNA specifically for gamer tasks. So if they're stripping out 10% of the die space and put and uh, taking out, you know, tensor operations and compute things and whatnot. They can start putting more stuff in, like real-time ray tracing hardware, like more shaders, stuff like that. So I'm really interested to see if that comes in RDNA two. With the way the announcement happened, I wouldn't be surprised. And between that and the 50% performance per watt increase, they're targeting. RDNA 2 cards could be beasts, and they're due to come out this year, so we'll know sooner rather than later. Yeah, and I guess it comes down to balance, too, right? Because if they could – because, I mean, a lot of people, you know, cynically said that a lot of the the current NVIDIA, you know, RTX cards are just simply reused data center cards. They just basically had these tensor cores, and they had to find a way for something to do, and blah, 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 internet statements. Uh, And I guess – True to some degree. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, was that, I mean, maybe the issue with the anger over the RTX cards wasn't necessarily that it had ray tracing, but maybe it was simply the balance of it, I guess. Yep, yep, 100%. And if you look at Tesla cards, NVIDIA's Tesla cards, because they already do this, uh, for example, they have more hardware in there to do uh, FP16, so double precision, which is good for machine learning tasks, so that's the kind of thing CDNA can do. But if they take that out of RDNA, they can have, say, 10% more shaders. So that's good for gamers. Uh, it's exciting to see it finally happen. AMD's never been able to do it. So you remember, like, a couple years ago when the Bitcoin, Bitcoin mining was going on like crazy and Radeon cards was selling out like hotcakes? That is 100% because AMD only had the single architecture. So they had to build those compute tasks into their consumer graphics cards as well and so that's why they were so good at bitcoin mining with this they'll be able to strip some of that stuff out which probably sucks for bitcoin miners but is good for gamers <laughs> right and most of those were moved to asics anyway right so it's not like it's yeah. that that whole gpu mining thing is for uh, the most part done over on twitch uh Rurutu says uh let's hope their driver team has enough people to do both architectures <laughs> oh that's a burn <laughs> That is a burden. Uh, also, unrelated note, but kind of related to that comment, AMD release, released Radeon 20.2.2 Adrenaline Edition drivers that fix a lot of the bugs that they say have been identified by the community recently. Uh, so if you haven't heard about that, if you haven't updated your graphics cards, drivers, and you have a Radeon card, go do that sooner or later. I guess a bunch of issues have been fixed. It's great. They're playing up that is from the community. 
think it's funny that they got all these fixed the week after the press started highlighting all these community concerns. But it's here, and it, I guess it sounds like it's pretty awesome. Was it pretty real, though? Because, I mean, that, that had been this thing around uh, ATI, AMD's neck for a long time. Bad drivers, bad drivers. And then most people were saying, no, they're pretty good. And then suddenly there's they this were. outbreak of people saying, oh, these things are terrible for the drivers. Yeah, it's, uh, again, we've never experienced it. I know uh, Steve over at Hardware Unboxed did a lot of the coverage for it. And he's never experienced it. And he uses a lot of the cards in his daily drivers, his daily uh, day-to-day tasks. Uh, but I guess a lot of people have had intermittent issues, and these new drivers had like 20-something fixes for some of the most common ones. I guess looking over the AMD subreddit, a bunch of uh, issues people have had with specific games have been cleared up to a large effect. Uh, and actually, AMD took the time to say, and actually did a post on it, that if you're still having issues, try to do a clean driver install, maybe use DDU. That's always, if you're having issues with a graphics card, that should be your go-to first thing. So if you're still having issues, go do that. And DDU is a driver uninstaller. So yeah. For people Display know. driver uninstaller, I believe, is actually the name. And free. Free as well. So Free as a bird. They take donations. So if you if you use it, you like it, does good work, maybe toss some coffee money. Hey, I got a question. So is it RDNA 2 or RDNA X2? Because I saw that in one of their slides. Didn't they call it RDNA X2, RDNA X3? Uh, there, there's RDNA 2 and 3 coming up. Uh, I've seen it elsewhere covered as 2X and 3X, oh, but if you look it. at their gaming GPU architecture roadmap, it still says RDNA 2 and RDNA 3. Uh, RDNA 2 is still going to be on 7 nanometer. It's going to be an optimized version of 7 nanometer, which RDNA introduced, and then RDNA 3 sometime before the end of 2022 will be on an unspecified advanced node. Uh, so I, so the question, so clearly one of the cool things with RDNA 2 and CDNA is they sort of get to balance the cards better for gaming. Yeah. And compute, too. That's good for business things. It's good for business. Because it, it's been jack of all trades. Now it's really good to, that they can optimize it. What I want to know, though, is how how does the hardware community, and I'm going to use that, that term very generously, that's reviewers and people who buy the cards, how do they determine what is a good balance? Because clearly they're going to do ray tracing. It's going to be a big feature of it. So people are going to want to see you you best be as good or better than RTX, right? Current gen, at least. Hopefully. Do we think that's going to be important? Or are we going to see people like, oh, I don't want ray tracing. I want, you know, 40% more frame rates in, you know, non, non-DXR games. What's the it's right balance? Way too early to tell, but I think the right balance would be what NVIDIA didn't do. You have to offer performance increases in traditional games as well as ray tracing, because that was really the big issue with RTX cards. Yes, they introduced ray tracing, but the exact same performance for the exact same price and everything that's not ray tracing. So to me, whatever the answer is, is it has to be both. Yeah. Do you think it would have been like better for... NVIDIA, if like 2080 had been the 2070 and you watered everything like one step down. So 2080 performance. Would have been a big difference. At 2070 pricing. I mean, then mm-hmm. it would have, of course. That's actually what they did with the Super Series. And we like those cards a lot more just because of that. So. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I, I'm just thinking, yeah, that. Although sometimes I don't, I don't know. I mean, I know there are definitely some, there were some people like you that, that like think that was 
one of the one of the the, the failings of that that launch sort of a, a negative but I think there were a lot of people also just simply just they were against ray tracing period. I, I and I know people don't believe but I I I got in a lot of internet arguments with people about like whether ray tracing is real or not cuz I mean I I can go back and find 50 million statements from people saying they should not have done this until it was ready. And that was clearly a, a very vocal crowd was saying that so Well I think the issue was, one, there was no increase in traditional gaming performance for the majority of the RTX lineup. 2080 Ti is obviously different. Uh, and yeah, not only... So you'd pay $800 for this graphics card, you would get it, it would have ray tracing, but then no ray trace games came out for like a month or two. Like Battlefield Five was the first one to come out, and it took yep. a month or two. So they should have lined something up so there was on day one you could use this newfangled capability, I think. It was just a really weird launch. Yeah, it was a, it was a tough one, right? It was really tough. Yeah, people just didn't yeah. want to didn't believe want to believe in the future promise of a technology. It felt like you never should. Well, but here's the thing, though. <laughs> now we're going to have our DNA too. It'll come out. It'll have hardware ray tracing. We we assume you know similar to you know what Nvidia's doing with DXR and like. But mm-hmm. is a is it if those cards come out and they're only five or ten percent faster on conventional games i don't i don't want to call it legacy because that sets people off but conventional non-ray trace games and you have the ray tracing capability wasn't that the same thing nvidia did and if people are not going to get angry at that are are they being hypocritical well i think amd's in a really good spot because nvidia was the market leader and it basically stayed where it was in traditional games performance and just added that uh, AMD is already its $400 graphics card, the RX 5700 XT. There's nothing faster than that already. RDNA 2 is going to come out on top of this. So I, my guess would be they're going to launch more at the high end to start. And so they won't have that direct comparisons. There won't be a moment where you can say, hey, this is, you know, not any faster than what was before because there's not anything else before right now. Yeah. Uh, whereas like we keep always going back to the 2080 versus the 1080 ti you'd be like look man this is the exact same thing for the exact same price in traditional games amd is not going to have that so yeah i mean that was just a tough (laughs) tough lineup for them and although i i've talked about this with adam before but i i would love to see whether that was the right choice i I don't want to beat this this horse dead it's been dead but I That's, think getting ahead, I think marketing-wise, it probably was. No, Because now people associate Ray Tracer with NVIDIA already. Yeah. So Yeah, I, mean, <laughs> I think it was the right choice for them to make. It was a hard choice. I mean, it was very hard because it made people angry. But the conventional wisdom of I would rather buy a 1080 Ti versus paying $100 more for a 2080, I want to talk to those people you know, now and then in 12 months and then 24 months. Do they still went, feel that way? Was that the right, really the right way to go? I, I think the 1080 Ti is going to go down as one of the best graphics cards in video game history for the value that it presented. I agree with that at the beginning of the 1080 Ti. but Even at, at the at, end, because you keep saying it's, a, it's not Tom $100 Brady difference. Now it was like not, $200 difference. Tom Brady now is not the same as <laughs> no, he's Tom Brady from 10 <laughs> years ago, right? That's just not... You say that now, but watch when he signs with the Raiders. You'd be like, oh, Tom oh, Brady. Oh, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Hell no. <laughs> yeah, so another thing that's interesting about ray tracing, uh, just kind of, again, floating around all these topics, there's been a lot of really interesting information in the graphics card space the last couple of weeks. Uh, NVIDIA's GTC 20 event got digital 
it was supposed to be a live thing, uh, but because of coronavirus, it's not. Uh, hopefully, we don't get demonetized. Uh, but uh, so yeah, so people were kind of expecting to hear about NVIDIA's next gen graphics architecture at GTC. NVIDIA's obviously never said anything about it. They never do teases and stuff like that until they announce things. Uh, supposedly rumored to be codenamed Ampere. Uh, people were hoping to get information from that from GTC. We still might. They're still going to be live streaming a keynote, which would probably be really weird since there will be no audience. Uh, but what I'm really interested in seeing is what it's able to do with its second-gen ray tracing capabilities and how RDNA 2's first-gen ray tracing capabilities stack up to that when all these cards are here at the end of the year. Yeah, that's what some people are, are asking in the chat is, you know, but by the time RDNA 2 comes out, we'll probably see 3000 series or whatever they call it, you know, so how, how is that going to stack up? Are they going to continue to be behind in the top-end space? We'll have to see. You can't tell until it comes out. Uh, with all these different changes b- between able to uh, dedicate more die space to gamer-centric tasks with this 50% performance per watt increase, I mean, if it all lives up to the hype that they're, they were throwing out there, uh, it could be a big jump. It's too early to tell. Hmm. Another thing that AMD has in its favor is that it's the one powering, at least the it's inside both the Xbox Series X and the PlayStation 5. Only Xbox Series X has been officially as confirmed as RDNA 2 specifically. But, I mean, if PlayStation 5 is also supporting hardware ray tracing, it's also clearly going to be RDNA 2. So that means that when publishers develop for ray tracing in their AAA titles, they're probably, at least for the next year or two, going to be targeting that hardware. Mm, Yeah. So, as the specs to target. So... That gives AMD a bit of an advantage in that the games are going to be developing, I'm speculating, uh, for that kind of hardware. And that's going to be the hardware that's inside of RDNA 2 desktop graphics cards. So you you think maybe AMD will take the charge in bringing uh, ray tracing to to the, the lower end? price tiers uh because uh, key up uh 901 thank you on on youtube gives five dollars uh it says pricing for our dna2 high-end cards is important uh let's hope it's disruptive yeah 2080 ti still costs too damn much <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's but crazy, yeah right? amd has said in the past when they were talking smack about nvidia introducing ray tracing already they said we're not going to roll out ray tracing until we can do it to every price point in a, in a graphics card family so hopefully we do see it from top to bottom. And hopefully that means that as you move down to the bottom level tiers, you'll get console equivalent ray tracing performance at least. <laughs> and yeah. NVIDIA, I wouldn't be surprised as faster at ray tracing with the second gen stuff. I wouldn't be surprised about that. But again, it depends on what games are being built around as well. Yeah, You know, what's interesting too is I, I just kind of thought that, you know, because usually there's always a winner and a loser, but mm-hmm. I don't think... For this push to ray tracing, there's neither company was wrong. No, like race, Nvidia had market leadership. They wanted to push a feature that would put them ahead of Intel coming and 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 AMD. AMD didn't have the the pockets, and mm-hmm. you know they basically like you know what we're not going to get our our nose punched in to push this out until it's ready. And so it feels like they'll both land in a really good spot when their next gen parts come out. In a lot of ways. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think AMD did the right thing with first-gen Navi, first-gen first gen RDNA as well, saying, hey, 
yeah, we don't have ray tracing, but we're giving you more traditional gaming performance at lower prices. And, I mean, you can't argue with that. So no, no, it you isn't. can, you can, but I, I would say neither one is wrong. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. it's. I mean, that that's again, that's one of the things about the PC is everything still works. It's not like things suddenly stop working if you don't have a feature. And developers, they know you you don't have this feature. You just don't get that feature. Whatever, mm-hmm. it still runs, right? So it's not the end of the world. Um, what about Intel? We got any feelings for Intel? Were they even going to be a presence this year? No, I'm not speculating on Intel at this point. I have no idea. They they're going to have something out by the end of the year. They've said. Yeah. Uh, Were there some see. crazy rumors of them doing like you know some you know like it's a tile base like it'll have like I mean dicks dicks whatever dicks one didn't really blow people's socks off but ten of them on a die you know maybe you know yeah uh, it was uh, digital trends I believe that got older marketing slides is what it looked like uh, but that looked like it was from fairly early in the planning life cycle for it so I don't necessarily put a lot of water into it we'll have to see how it how it comes out especially because digital trends i actually used to write for them and i know the people there are good people but they're not known for breaking graphics card news so that's really interesting but i'm not willing to like full-throated like yeah i support what they leaked here yet so yeah <laughs> hmm. that'd be video cards that would always be breaking that news yeah, I, sometimes Anything I think video card puts out. I'll say that's probably going to happen because video cards got some sources. Sometimes I, I just kind of figured if you worked at Nvidia or AMD, you would just wait for like, well, where are the powerpoints? Well, we're still waiting for video cards to produce them, and then we'll show it to you. It's <laughs> <laughs> just like, uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't get that one. That's crazy. It's funny, but uh, yeah, it looks to be an exciting year for all all graphics makers, both the traditional ones and Intel coming out with this first thing. It's looking like it's going to be a pretty sweet year. So. Uh, I'm actually the past year and a half has been like a death march of graphics card reviews, and I have a feeling this year, maybe not immediately, but from summer on, might get just as hot. Uh, Bit Nuckel, uh on YouTube is asking, uh, what if ray tracing from Xbox and PS5 only works well on RDNA and not on RTX? What if I know that? Microsoft's version is built on the DirectX ray tracing API, which is part of DirectX 12, which is also what RTX is built on. It's an underlying API that everybody uses. That's what RTX is. RTX is NVIDIA's branding for DirectX ray tracing, plus, you know, some of their, like, what they, it's their branding for their hardware that enables DirectX ray tracing. So that's not going to make a difference on the desktop, at least. Uh, Sony's a little bit different. It doesn't use DirectX 12. It uses its own thing. So we'll have to see. But I would expect everything to work fine. Right. Sony will just have its own API to whatever the RDNA 2 stuff is. And I I don't think that has ever really happened necessarily. I know people think that companies take sides, but Microsoft, they want to maintain partnerships. NVIDIA is a market leader. They still like to sell lots of copies of Windows. They know PC gaming is going great. They're not going to come out and not and not have ray tracing work fine. Just DXR work just fine on uh, on uh, RTX as well. I, I think, and I, I like to point out to people over the years, they've actually had different versions of of DirectX just to address you know uh, a certain card not having a feature. 
right? They've, yep. they've like, oh, this really kind of runs bad on you. So we're going to have this, you know, dash subset of whatever DX9 or DX8 or 7. And, and, and it sort of addresses those issues. It is in, in a Microsoft's best interest to have it run great on everybody's hardware. Yeah, it's DirectX 12. It's what it direct ray tracing is DirectX 12. It's part of DirectX 12. So oh. DirectX 12 games are out now, developed like Gears 5, Forza, all those games. Those are made for micro by Microsoft for Xbox, first and foremost. And when they come to the PC, now doing so on day one, they both perform great on they perform great on both AMD and NVIDIA hardware. So uh Ruru2 on Twitch is asking, uh, does Vulkan support ray tracing or is that a dead API? Uh, I don't I'm not it, sure to say it off the top of my head. I don't think so. Yeah, I don't believe they actually have ray tracing support yet. I'm sure it'll come. I'm sure it'll be compatible with whatever hardware is in the market at that point, right? Mm-hmm. And I do want to say that as far as the politics of DirectX, it, there, it does get political. I had heard this story many, many in ancient history. Here's your ancient history story. <laughs> that the reason why some DirectX features were supported for Intel. Remember, they support things for AMD or AMD ATI as well as for NVIDIA. They supported some things for Intel to say DirectX because they want because Intel basically pressured Microsoft to say, look, you need to say we can support this. Our IGP supports DirectX. Otherwise, no one's going to buy computers because IGP is, you know, the bulk of the sales in the U.S. You need mm-hmm. to. And I'd heard this story that, yes, that's there's reasons why you had DirectX support in very low end Intel hardware that could not actually run any games with that DirectX support. But it's a checkoff list for consumers. So, yeah. Oh, wait, that's yeah, good the stuff. last question. We're going to go on to the next one. Are we got any more uh, RDNA stuff? Or are you safe? I mean, pe- people are just, you know, hoping that it's uh, it's competitive, that, that it's coming out, that. That uh, because the consoles will be getting uh, some form of ray tracing, that that means uh, it'll it'll come in uh, even even more droves because you know there's still limited number of games out there that that support it still. So, you know, I do have a question I forgot to ask you earlier, Brad. And, okay, and that is is we've heard many times, and I've sort of also believed in this too, that because AMD basically has both consoles locked up, yep, and they're in PCs that they benefit from this. Have we seen any benefit from that theory? You know, it's like the whole, oh, well, eight cores in consoles means, you know, our six-core CPUs will be supported. And it's like, I ain't never seen that. Has it actually turned out that way with graphics? Well, ish. It's hard to say directly yes or no. But going back to, like, what we were talking about earlier with RDNA like AMD has always had to use one architecture for everything and they were heavy on compute. So they were some of the first two asynchronous computing and pushing for DirectX 12 and Vulkan and stuff like that. And we're starting to see that happen more now. And now we're starting to see DirectX 12 games like gears Four, gears five and stuff coming out. So it does make a difference. Uh, I think the bigger benefits for PC gamers is going to be with the next generation consoles is going to be the fact that ray tracing is going to be everywhere. And that Ryzen is going to be the new baseline more than anything for Radeon specifically. Mm. Let's hope that architecture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, also real quick, the chat saying uh, Vulcan does support ray tracing. Oh, do they have it? It's already. Yes. Been... Oh, okay. Any rate, I guess there's just no ray tracing Vulcan games. I wonder what version I I'm- I'm actually was talking to the Kronos group about something recently, 
and I'm not sure what or was not as public, so I just don't want to say yes or no to anything that might or might not. <laughs> no worries. Uh, uh, should look into that. I wonder if there will be Vulcan-based ray tracing games. I mean, I'm sure there will be eventually. Yeah. No, no, uh, no clue. No hmm. clue. Uh, it depends. I think that would depend on Sony's implementation, right? If Sony winds up liking Vulcan for, for the PlayStation 5, then that could give it a shot in the armor in the PC too. But what Sony's done on the PlayStation hasn't really affected PCs so much historically, so I wouldn't necessarily put money on that, but it could. Yeah, you know, I really, I mean, I'm not, a, again, not clearly not a console person, but I have no idea what in the world Sony uses for for the development tools on, on PlayStation 5. I know in, I, traditionally yeah. a lot of console development is on PC, but mm-hmm. I'm just kind of wondering, like, I could see them like, you know what, we, re- we don't need to keep reinventing the wheel. Let's use Vulcan in the next, you know, PlayStation. I think it was Linux. I'm not sure. Yeah. Again, don't quote me on that. But I know you could install Linux on the PlayStation 4 for a while before they yanked the capability. So, Huh. But it just yeah. feels like they would, they're just, they've sort of, it feels like Sony learned their lesson. We don't need to keep going in our own way. We'll see. Because <laughs> Microsoft does have that really big advantage is the developer tools are huge for PC. Yep. And you know what? They work great for Xbox. And that's kind of been a big advantage for them over the years, it feels like. You yep. think Sony would try to find a way to to also make up for that It'll, you know, gap. See, the thing gap. is, the Xbox and PCs have DX12 underlying it. I'm not sure that the PlayStation can since it doesn't run Windows, <clears throat> unlike the Xbox yeah, and and PCs, and I don't think Sony's going to start paying Microsoft for a Windows license either for all these Playstations. So yeah, <laughs> I, I, it'd, be, it'd be interesting to hear from a PlayStation expert to see what what yeah. in the world they do. Because uh, chat chat is saying that the PS4 OS is a free BSD, which is Unix oh, based. Go. So okay, yep, cool. And then, Thanks, so chat. I mean, very much <laughs> you know, Vulcan would make perfect sense on on a free BSD. Yeah. Right? Yep, we'll see. Well, I'm surprised you're not pushing that as we're free, kind of like. But it's not really because it's Sony. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's like uh, the the Amazon version of Android that it runs on as Kindle. Like you are technically it's free, it's Android, but it's yeah. heavily modified proprietary version, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, no, it's. I mean, you know, I understand it because they have to keep control of their hardware. So mm-hmm. They're always concerned about uh, uh, DRM issues, right? So, speaking yeah, of controlling much. hardware. Yes, you know, you want to uh, you want to talk about the new ATX twelve VO spec? Yeah. So uh, for people who don't know, we did talk about this maybe four weeks ago. Uh, it was sort of like out of it. It popped up around just after CES. Somebody may have seen an ATX twelve VO power supply um, for, uh, and we did talk about it. <clears throat> Uh, the information wasn't super clear to me at that time, but I just thought it'd be fun to talk about. And I've gotten more information, and it is worthy of talking about. It is essentially the the next specification for ATX uh, V, which is the. Uh, I'm going to clear this up first. Your power supply, that box you have, the physical uh, form factor is uh, ATX, right? And then you have other. SFX, you have other shapes of those boxes. The specification outlining the wires inside and all of the, the, the voltage that comes out of it, that's ATX12V. And there is a new spec that was released by Intel uh, in July of 2019 last year. 
Nobody paid attention to it, but it is apparently becoming rapidly to reality this year. It is called ATX12VO. That's ATX12 volt only. It's a it's an O, not a zero. And um, initially, because of what we saw out of the uh, first news stories and what we saw at CES, I thought it was really a form factor and power spec for small form factor boxes. Turns out it isn't really. It really. You could have an ATX 12V ATX power supply, essentially, going forward this Mm -hmm. year. Uh, And the big thing, what it does is it it really takes uh, 3.3 volt, 5 volt. This is the the thing we did know earlier. And other sort of unused, like, you know, a a a 5 volt standby. And dump them overboard. Just gets rid of them. And the reason for that, of course, it wasn't really clear a few weeks ago, but... Sorry, a little bit of a cough getting over that cold. No temperature, though. Is they very much are worried about standby power efficiency. So when you build a power supply, uh, you basically have to have a 12 volt. You have to produce 12 volt. You have to produce, say, 3.3 volt, 5 volt. And then because it's a full ATX 12V spec, you've got these other ATX uh, 5 volt standby and minus 12. These sort of things that a lot of these things don't even get used anymore. So you have this power supply that has to produce all these different voltages. This is called a multi-rail. So you have multiple rails. And if you want to make this power supply um, more power efficient when it's just, when nothing's going on and the computer's in standby mode, you get rid of the three, three volt and the five volt and the minus 12 and the five volt standby. And you have that power supply only make 12 volt power. And so that makes it a lot easier, a lot cheaper to make, that power supply and also a lot more efficient and we've apparently been moving this way for quite a while i i talked to uh, one power supply vendor and they pointed out it's like look we have this power supply 600 watt power supply from 2006 and 25 percent of the power was going to three three and five volt and he says today that same power supply essentially if we you know is 600 watts sfx that same power supply, only about 15% of the power is going to 3.3 and 5 volts. So I did talk to multiple power supply vendors and a lot of motherboard vendors, and people are very much like, yeah, we think it's not a bad idea. This is They can see a lot of upsides to this. Power supplies eventually, vendors eventually, especially because they can be cheaper, they, you know, cheaper, more efficient. On, on a lot of this, of course, was done by Intel because of uh, more restrictive uh, regulations from state of California for one EU. There's just a lot of uh, governments around the world that are ratcheting down on, on desktop power. And they are very much looking at standby power, mm-hmm. which is uh, the main reason. Makes sense. I don't necessarily agree with that myself because I, well, one, I don't think desktops are even really worth chasing for efficiency because desktops are already in decline in, in, in numbers, yep. but it makes sense because the vast majority of desktops in the world are those POS boxes, you know, in your in your banks, in your hospitals, and they sit idle 99% of their life. And yep. if you can basically make them more efficient when they're idle, you're going to save way more power on our big des- gaming desktops when we're cranking away with, you know, four to 500 watts of power and up, right? So I, I understand that, that aspect of it, and it does make sense. Um, one other thing that is clear is also ATX... 12V, which is the multi-rail that we all you know know and love in DIY, that's not going to go away and that's not going to change. 
you're not going to be able to go to a you know a shelf and not find the the power supply you want. You'll still get the mm-hmm. great big honking twelve hundred thousand watt power supplies that we need. That's not going to change okay. at all, probably. Right now, I do think mm-hmm. eventually, um, because the way the regulations are written, they don't affect DIY people. So people who build their own machines, they don't care, right? Whatever. That's you're okay. such a small, infinitesimal slice of the market. It doesn't matter. But if you make PCs, so if you're a PC OEM and you sell, you know, two million desktop boxes a year, mm-hmm. you have to meet these requirements. So okay. they basically have they're they're being roped into this way earlier than we are. Um, one other thing that's very important to point out is. Uh, 3.3 volt and 5 volt, even though it's they're not producing it in the quantity that it was in you know 10 years ago, 15 years ago, it is still very much used on motherboards to power USB, for SATA, for memory. Uh, 3.3 yeah. volt does a lot of memory, so it's still going to be, be my question. Like, what happens to these things that are they're getting kicked out? Yeah, so they get moved to the motherboard. So right now, the, you basically have a small power supply making 3.3 volts that goes to your motherboard, which then passes it on to the RAM. In the future, basically, it'll go into the motherboard, and the motherboard will handle you know producing the amount of correct voltage that they need for you know memory, for SATA, for USB. Some ways that's good because if you're making a a motherboard that's a gigantic motherboard and has you know crap loads of usb ports and eight dim slots all the stuff you basically size the power circuits for that mm-hmm. if you have a 50 dollar motherboard where you've got two two dim slots you know four usb slots you just go like well we don't need as much power so you're not making as much power the way it worked before you could potentially have a power supply that just way made way too much power in that that motherboard ever needed so it sort of yeah. right sizes some aspect of it it does also create more heat, though, you know, because you yeah. basically you move the complexity, you move the heat generation onto the motherboard. Um, one those are I, sensitive. Those are motherboards are sensitive too. So having it generate more heat and manage more of this power stuff seems like mm, it's going to take some engineering. Yeah, yeah. So you know, some motherboard vendors are like, yeah, but you know, we think we can manage it better. Some power supply <laughs> vendors I talked to said, no, we we do a better job. <laughs> But also, they're also saying it's just we got to work hand in hand. That makes sense. Um, one thing I don't have any statement from motherboard makers is like, well, how much is it going to cost? Because clearly, that's the real question, right? But you know, I guess ideally, if you had an ATX twelve VO power supply, mm-hmm. say it was a conventional ATX twelve V, it might be eighty bucks, ninety bucks for eight hundred watts or whatever. Sure. So if you cut twenty dollars off of that. That $20 now goes onto the motherboard. The motherboard may go up, I'm going to guess here, I don't really know, could go up 20 bucks. Yep. So it just may simply move the cost from the power supply, you know, for like, like class to the motherboard. So maybe that won't be a big deal. And then also one thing that's going to be very important for people to know is the one thing that people still have to have is SATA power. So right now everybody still needs your your uh, your SATA power. Right now, of course, you would plug your 2.5 inch hard drive or SSD or old fashioned hard drive or optical drive into your power supply. A- under ATX 12V, you would plug directly onto the motherboard. Uh, the mm-hmm. ATX 12VO spec allows up to six um, SATA power ports. Yep, uh, that's 
you know, fine for most people, but you will be plugging those into your motherboard. You won't be plugging them into the power supply, which, you know, and then also there's a smaller connector. It is a 10 pin connector. Originally, I thought that was the exact same thing in the Intel Ghost Canyon, their Nook, their compute mm-hmm. elements. Yep. It actually isn't. I was looking at the pinouts. It's actually a little different. And Intel's also confirms that it's not actually the same thing, but it will be similar because you will go from this great big 24 pin connector all these wires, 24 pins down to 10 pins, it could actually make it a lot easier to build a system because the wiring now, you, you only have 10 pin, 10 wires instead of 24, so it may make it a lot easier to wire stuff up. And I think it would make it, just for people who are into aesthetics, a lot easier just to have the power coming off of the motherboard as well. Yeah, yeah, so there could be, you know, some things. I mean, I it's a little, we'll have to see what happens. It's not going to affect DIY immediately. Um, yep. We're not really sure when we're going to see systems based on ATX 12VO sold by OEMs and, you know, um, white box makers, but probably this year. And then I do think, though, eventually DIY will be fine. But, you know, if you're a motherboard maker and you're like, you got I got to make boards for this, for OEMs, we got all this infrastructure here. We're making fewer boards for DIY people. Why don't we just get DIY people to come over? You know, there's they're probably yeah, because like like you said, the reason that uh, DIY is exempt from these laws is because it's such a small slice of the pie compared to the big stuff. If these big companies already have to build that larger slice of the pie, all these boards to that spec, I would think it would inevitably trickle down to DIY people. Yeah, yeah, and there could be some, you know, really. I mean, I, and I was actually quite surprised that. So when I go out and I talk to a lot of different vendors about this stuff, you know, it's, it's always often, you know, on background because they don't want to, they don't want to make people angry. So they mm-hmm. generally talk freely. And if they want to talk smack about something, they'll say, yeah, this sucks. But for mm-hmm. the most part, people are like, yeah, they're, they're, they, they think it's time to do something new and they can see mm-hmm. it because, you know, what are you going to do? It's a government regulation. You're not going to get around it and they need to do it. So for the most part, People are fairly open to it. I was surprised, even though we don't really know costs and there's there's still a lot of questions out there. I'm just I guess my biggest concern would be power regulation capabilities in cheap motherboards out of all this, like because VRMs getting overloaded with heat are already an issue on even some high end boards these days. Once you start adding in all these new, you know, voltage power regulated in. I'm just real curious to see what it does to the cheap board market. You know, but, you know, I think, you know, it's crazy because I've I've been saying this for a while now, but ATX got to go, folks, right? Maybe this is a perfect time to say, look, you know, ATX 12VO will be a new, we understand you've got your big $700 motherboard with your $400 power supply. That's that's fine. That's still going to be there for a while. But. A lot of this stuff is not used anymore. Let's let's also not. I really hope we don't get to the point where we just go. Let's do ATX motherboard with ATX twelve VO, because mm-hmm. I really feel it's like let's let's really sit down, Andy, Intel, Microsoft, the entire all the partners sit down and say let's let's think what what are the weaknesses of ATX twelve V that should be ATX twelve that should be fixed. Yep, you know, hey. Maybe the specs should allow mounting components on the back, right? Apple did that with their new Mac, right? Yeah, so I was going to say Apple can do its own thing, and it's already introduced a bunch of changes in that new Mac. Yeah, and, you know, Asus was showing off a a next-generation kind of view of the PC 
is a concept that was non-ATX. Maybe there's just things that make sense, and it has to include the chassis vendors because the problem is, you know, the chassis vendors were one of the big reasons why we couldn't do BTX chassis and power supply. There's just people just they didn't want to do it, but. Mm-hmm. maybe there's a way now with these new power supply specs coming along that we could actually fix some things in ATX that should be fixed at this point. I mean, it, there are some really good opportunity. It, it is crazy to think that you have rules based in the 1990s and 1980s still guiding basically how you build a modern PC, even for DIY. I mean, I don't yeah. know if you could ever get all those people in the same room and not come out with just, you know, everybody with, you know, bloody noses, but it would be nice yes. to do that. And this would be the, you know, the good chance for it when we see it ratchet over to it and, you know, say 24 months or 36 months. So yep. I'm all for it. A uh, question I had uh, from the chat to uh, Vian Skislaw. Uh, do, do you think the Seasonic Connect is a transition to that new ATX 12 VO standard? I haven't seen it yet. I I can look it up now. Seasonic Connect. Seasonic, by the way, for people who don't know, is a very large power supply actual manufacturer. Um, Seasonic Power what? Power Connect. Uh, just a Seasonic Connect. Oh, got it. But it probably is not. Let's see. You know, because I and the, one of the things is a lot of okay. What am I getting sent to a porn site here? No. Um, <laughs> one of the one of the things with uh, one clean send. This definitely does not look like it. So you could potentially have basically your standard ATX box with a smaller connector. I'm looking at the video. It looks cool. Seasonic does make great power supplies. They're mm. big. Big OEM for a lot of vendors. Uh, no, because it looks like a... This definitely is not. In fact, even the insides look like a multi-rail design, so it definitely isn't. It doesn't uh, look like... Also, Diane had a question. Um, how are they going to keep a malfunction from frying everything on the motherboard? Yeah. <sighs> Malf- well, isn't that the same problem you'd have today? You mean malfunction from... A VRM on the motherboard. They going say down. I have a vision of a power spike taking out everything plugged into a board rather than the one item. Yeah, it's you know what? Of, go ahead. It's kind of the same thing now, like you were saying, isn't it? Like, if your motherboard, if you ever had a motherboard fry, a lot of stuff goes bad, <laughs> and that's how it is now. I'd imagine it'd be the same thing. Yeah, and then one thing, <clears throat> one thing, one motherboard maker told me. They said actually, they think if. They had control of, you know, the 3.3 three, uh, three, three and 5-volt rail on the motherboards, and they push that to memory. They may be able to compensate for a power overload, whereas it may not if it came through a cheaper power supply, right? So if it made it through a cheap power supply to the other side, then it might be bad. So just so you know, I, I watched a video on this Seasonic Connect. It essentially looks like a standard ATX-12V ATX power supply modular and then it has a long power strip so you would then plug these this thing in this great big sort of big box it looks like it actually has other power rails in there and then you would then looks to me like you would then have this in your case and instead of routing it all you know like we do right now snaking it everywhere it would just plug into a section on the in the case right so you could maybe have a a, a voltage um rail just like a power strip running along the inside of your case and then you would plug in your motherboard to it 
And that's what this that looks like. Cool. It's cool. It is, you know, again, this is a, this is a, it's a proprietary method. I'm, I'm almost certain it is not something that, you know, you will have CSONIS competitors adopt, which is why if we did it, you know, with all vendors getting together and saying, look, let's, why don't we have a, a method for having, you know, a clean wiring? So clean wiring is such, such a huge thing with today's PCs. Why don't we make it easier to wire up PCs with a, you know, a standard? If we all just kind of agreed, let's have a new version of ATX to go when we have ATX 12VO pushed out to DIY that we can build super clean wiring in machines. Like this is kind of cool to have basically a power strip running along the backside of your PC or the yeah. top of, you know. And then, you know, uh, so many people run water coolers. Maybe there's just things we could just do that aid those things. It's it's crazy to think that we are, it's like having a, a 2020 car using Model T sort of specifications. And that we've made yeah. work. And uh, it would be nice to sort of ramp things forward a little bit. So I have a question for you uh, out of this. I'm confused how this spec ties in to that Intel Ghost Canyon NUC, because then those have the, the weird little 10 pin power connectors. Is that just a coincidence? Is it relate to this spec? Was it just confusing that they used 10 pin for that as well as this? I'm confused how that all. It is the last thing. It is, it is confusing that they introduced a compute elements that was powered by a semi proprietary 10 pin connector um, mm -hmm. at a time when the, then when there was just also coverage of, of the new uh, ATX-12VO, which also has a 10-pin connector, it'll look similar, I imagine, because it is basically two, you know, two rows and mm -hmm. a lot narrower because you're, you're dumping, you're going from 24 to 10 pins. It is not the same. I actually looked, because I was like, oh, it's going to be the same. Obviously, that's what led me to say in the previous podcast. That, oh, you would it think be. it would be, yeah. <laughs> yeah <laughs> you, you would think it would be, but I think... It may. It actually says a little bit about it as well because the Ghost Canyon probably wasn't really set up to run all off of twelve volts. Because again, and I do have a really good question because hey, you got this great big extended ATX, you know, ATX motherboard. You've got all kinds of room, kinda. Mm -hmm. You get down in a mini ITX now. Besides the fact that you're jamming in, you know, high performance uh, twelve volt. VRMs, or you just got all the VRMs for the for the CPU and all that other stuff. Now you also have to also jam in VRMs for three three volt and and five volt. Yep. Um, there's very limited real estate on a mini ITX. So in yep. compute elements was itself also tiny. They probably like well, <laughs> we're not going to put three three volt and five volt on this thing too. It's like are you kidding? That's just like. So it, it, that sort of may show the tension of like, that may be the one sticking point of ATX 12VO. Like, we don't want to do this. There's no board space left. Have you seen how many, how big the heat sinks are on the motherboards? You really want us to do this and not charge, you know, 20% premium, you know? And yeah. So there could be real clash when this comes out. Um, no one knows. That's interesting. Right? But I'm, I'm befuddled by the fact that they introduced this at the same time that they introduced that 10 pin power connector for compute elements and it's not connected. Well, I think it was just simply <laughs> it, confluence because yeah, ATX 12 VO was published in July of 2019. Compute yeah. elements was CES in January. And then suddenly two weeks later, somebody's writing about ATX 12 VO and then everybody's talking about ATX 12 VO. It has nothing to do with compute elements, but it looks like they launched them at the same time, but the spec actually came out months earlier. But, All right. you know, this 
I mean, it will be OEM only at first because mm-hmm. OEMs are they're facing uh, stringent regulations from you know government saying you need to get your standby power like way lower, and they're like this is going to drive up because you know power supply vendor says yeah it's very expensive to make a power supply that can do these kind of legacy rails and also be that efficient you just can't do it cheap so yep. this was intel's way to like let's fix this we got to get a solution out because these <laughs> these things are coming really fast so and, and some of the oems apparently because they knew it was coming they had already started looking at designs and getting away from it anyway because they knew that it was going to be a pain and they they had to still sell computers and now since intel put this out is it proprietary or are they hoping it to be a standard? Like would AMD boards also be able to do this? Yeah, it's just a it is just a public published spec. It is not something that okay. they're gonna use to to you know harm competitors. I know okay. everybody also wants to jump on their jump to conclusion, Matt, and say that. You know, and, and one thing to be fair, people gotta know, Intel drives most of the specs in the industry. When you've got seventy five, eighty percent of all PCs sold, you drive everything. PCIe, yep. NVMe, SATA, PCI, USB, Thunderbolt. That's proprietary, unfortunately, for the most part, sort of. But they drive <laughs> everything. Um, and I'm I'm almost certain that you know if there's that if they people want to sell if OEMs want to sell uh, AMD based systems, they're going to have to have ATX 12 VO based. There's not there's no rocket science to it. As far as I know, okay. I don't think I'm not seeing anything saying, yeah, this is designed specifically to to hurt okay. AMD, which is what everybody will want to jump to conclusion on. But this, they and just want people. That's to exactly why I wanted to ask. No, it, it is good to ask because <laughs> I, I know I know people they're they're always they're afraid of Intel always trying to find you know a, a way to to hurt somebody. And uh, frankly, I understand that. I mean, that's probably the first question I asked. Mm-hmm. But again. People got to realize PCIe, NVMe, PCI, RAM stand. There's just so many boats that are floated by Intel specifications that are, for the most part, friendly to most people. It hasn't always been that way. And then sometimes there have been some things like, I remember AMD telling me, like, Gordon, Intel's using its lead on USB 3 to hurt us. It's like, what? How are you? What? But that was really, that was really something that somebody was from AMD was telling me because they thought... Intel had USB 3 on its motherboards because they developed it, so they beat us to it. So people are going to want USB 3. Yep. But, but yes. Makes sense. Sorry. Adam's like, what? I'm asleep here. Uh, what? Huh? <laughs> huh? Huh? This CSONIC Connect is pretty cool, though. <laughs> Any other questions? Uh, I'm good. No other questions about that, but we can uh, we can move over to the general question uh, section if we want to. Are we ready for that? Yes. Uh, you can get your questions in in the chat right now, but uh, if you are listening to this l- later, you can always hop on the uh, Full Nerd Discord and put our questions in the Full Nerd Questions channel. Uh, the link to that is in the description. Uh, Catching up on a couple ones from YouTube, uh, John Dokic says, uh, with pending global economic downturn, how long until serious price cuts of top-end hardware? Also, will this push back new products longer or make them come out earlier? Uh, I would say trying to guess global economic conditions are way outside of what you want to be trying to do with PC parts. <laughs> Because, I mean, if you actually knew that much about global economic conditions, you should go be day trading already. <laughs> uh, I think 
the bigger concern in the short term is not so much the global economic conditions, but the fact that all these Chinese factories have been in standby mode basically for a month or two, like the whole first quarter. So I think that could push back release. We've already seen, what was it, the TurboGrafx-16 Mini was supposed to come out soon, and it just got pushed back because they didn't have the manufacturing capability for it because of the coronavirus. And I, I can say definitely they there already have been delays. Um, I was at an event, and I was told by another uh, media person that uh, I should give credit to Nathan Kirsch at Legit Reviews. He was saying that he had heard from some people they couldn't get cables for their power supplies. So they had the power supplies, but they couldn't get the cables. So there would always be some factory sort of caught up in the, in the, you know, the curtain of, um, the cordon that they just couldn't get the parts out of. Of course, things have really turned around in China. And apparently a lot of the factories are already sort of back, back because they want to make money sort of cranking mm-hmm. away. So things will speed up again. But of course, we don't know what's happening here or Europe, every, the other continents. So I don't know. I wouldn't guess. I will say there already have been delays from it, though. If you need parts and you are planning to get parts in the near future, I'd probably get them in the near future. But I don't know. I wouldn't. I don't know. <laughs> it's complicated, man. Yeah, I mean, it's always a sort of like that panic, like I want to get ahead of the curve. Mm-hmm. The, I think that, yeah, if you need to actually build a computer, it's good to get ahead of the curve. Mm-hmm. But the good thing about the curve, I think, is it always it's a curve because it's a curve. It's not continual climb up Everest. It'll come back down. So if you can wait for things to stabilize, then that's good too. We just might. We don't know how long that curve is. Uh, yep. Jace, follow- uh, it's, it's it's unrelated to uh, the economic part of the question. It's more related to the factory output condition. But J uh, J J's two cents did a great video recently about why you should buy parts now. And Steve over at Gamers Nexus did kind of a counterpoint video of why you shouldn't panic and buy parts now. So if you want a fuller, you know, idea of both sides of the argument, I'd highly recommend both checking both of those out. All right. Yeah. Good point. Uh, PUBG Varian on YouTube. Uh, What do you think about ARM chips? Heard Apple is considering replacing traditional one with ARM. Is it as powerful as traditional chips? I will, I will say um, I think ARM is very fast. It's great for what it is. Apple, Apple's the the continuing theories, speculation that Apple will do an ARM-based Mac have been around for, I don't know, five years. Every year, some analyst comes out on the end of a, uh, <clears throat> what the hell are those things called on pirate ships? the plank they get on the plank and they say apple's gonna do <laughs> they get on the plank and they say apple's gonna do arm and then of course within six months after when they predicted it happens it doesn't happen unfortunately nobody ever push, pushes people off and make those predictions my own feeling is apple is the only company that could pull it off arm can be extremely efficient and extremely powerful if you write really tightly coded software for the hardware, right? iPhone performance on the iPad is awesome. It's awesome if you're using applications specifically coded for their hardware. The PC and the Mac are very much about legacy. It's about running some POS tax operation Mm -hmm. program from 10 years ago, and it's going to run that thing like hell. I've tried Windows on ARM, and you run run Edge, and you run uh, Office, 
you honestly could not tell the difference between a core Y part, you know, core M, a low power Intel part, and this thing. It would feel exactly like a, a core i7 Y part, right? In Word, mm-hmm. in 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 Office, in in uh, Edge, and some things. And then you would do something that would go off the, you know, go off the. the I can't say can't say go off the reservation. That's wrong. <laughs> it would go off the ranch, and it would just crawl to a halt. So in Windows, the problem is we we respect legacy, right? The, mm-hmm. Or the PC world, you don't throw people overboard. You let it run; it'll run horribly. It's a horrible experience. Apple's different. Apple can say we're not going to allow you to have your application on our platform unless it runs beautifully, right? Beautiful. So it is intention. It is entirely possible they could make a low power MacBook with ARM. That will run really well with a certain small subset of functionality. It will not be the same as a a Mac or a Mac Pro, where you can fire up, you know, some program you you bought four years ago and have it run great. It'll it'll run like hell. Is what's going to happen. ARM chips can be good though. There's uh, there's a startup called Nuvia right now who's been poaching a lot of people from the different companies to make ARM server chips where, again, power efficiency is a big big thing, and it's very specific written applications for those servers. So it depends on what you need it for. You know, Like we were talking about earlier about cDNA and RDNA, it depends on what you need and what you're trying to do. On phones, ARM is great. In servers, it hasn't taken off yet. People are trying to. We'll have to see. I believe yeah. it when I see it. Yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna. That actually does very much bring up a, a very important part. Look, ARM is really good for what it is, but I remember AMD saying eight years ago, you know what? Yep. The future is power efficiency. We're doing ARM. Yep. Joe Macri came out. I was sitting in a room and he was like, "What? You're really not going to do x86 high high performance?" As I, you know, he, he's very much like it's. It's not about the architecture, but you know, it was. It was the line that they were pushing at the time. It was horrible. Nobody really used it. ARM and data center has not gone anywhere that I know of at this point. Nope. Nope. And thank God they basically came around and says, you know what, uh, performance x eighty six is something we really care about because. And now we have that. Picture. Now we have that. All right, uh, we got a couple quick laptop questions. Uh, Andre Plushiskuk, uh, hi guys, please share your thoughts, ideas, predictions about the introduction date of the new Alienware M15 R3. Gordon, when is it coming out? And first, I have to check to see if I've been briefed about anything. Because if I have been briefed about it, I wouldn't be able to tell you anything. <laughs> Although I couldn't confirm nor deny. I who knows? I'm going to say it'll come out this year. That's pretty. That's pretty good. I'm gonna say it'll be this summer, possibly before this summer. It could, it'll be in in this 2020. Definitely, there will be a 2020 Alienware M15 R3. I can tell you before the end of this year, and it'll be sooner. I think it would, it would matter if uh, I would expect it to come out after Intel launches new 10th gen gaming chips because they don't have that yet, right? Right. So, so I would think after that. Yeah, I would uh, think it'd be tied to Intel or AMD mobile part launches all right, and so, NVIDIA. To follow up on that, uh, Verdorpunk, <laughs> uh, any real updates on Ryzen 4000 laptops? Haven't heard. Nothing publicly said. They said that they will last up to 18 hours, they teased uh, at their financial analyst day. I don't think they really said anything new publicly beyond that. 
Right. That's about it. Okay. Uh, follow up after that. Uh, Ray's on YouTube. Uh, which GPU would you recommend for this build? An i7 9700K, a 750-watt gold power supply, an Asus Maximus 11 Hero, 32 gigs of RAM, 1 terabyte, two 1 terabyte Samsung Evos, Cooler Master HP 500, and an Octua D15. Which GPU? So that is a badass system. Um, the question that, that I was hoping to hear, the one part that really makes the difference for what GPU you should buy is the monitor. <laughs> it depends 100% on your monitor. If you have a 1080p monitor that runs 60 hertz, you're not going to want to drop a bunch. Judging by that, the rest of that, I'm guessing you're probably 1440p or 4K. So I would recommend something starting with the Ryzen 5700 XT 5700 if you're looking for 1440p or the 2060 Super on up, depending on what you're trying to do. We actually have a best graphics card guide that breaks it down, not just on price, but also on what resolution you're playing and how fast the monitor is, because trying to drive a 1440p monitor at 60 and 144 are very different. Uh, so I'd go check that out. It's 100% going to depend on your monitor and what you're trying to do with it. But that's a nice system. I'm jealous. <laughs> Nice. Uh, all right, switching over to Discord, we got a bunch over there. Uh, Andy Berry, uh, given the expensive prices of large SSDs, is it more cost effective to buy smaller SSDs, uh, five terabyte versus one terabyte, and raid them together? Is there any performance issues? I'd love to know. <coughs> oh. I think it, it depends. To me, that seems kind of smart. It could. I, if you look at prices of SSDs, you can get. One terabyte and under for really good prices, uh, well under, or 10 cents a gig, let's say, sometimes well under 10 cents a gig if you're looking at sales. And if you look to move up to bigger, like two terabyte plus SSDs, you pay a much bigger premium for it. If you're willing to deal with the hassle of having five different drives in your system, I think it makes cost effectiveness sense. Yeah, and I, I'm not sure this RAID... Uh, idea makes sense to me i mean ssds have become pretty rock solid these mm -hmm. days i mean i have had a few take a you know quit but i the idea of having say you know five s's five one terabyte ssds in a, in a raid mm -hmm. makes me uncomfortable because the problem is you break your cpu or your motherboard or something else dies in the system how are you now going to move that data to another system easily it's it's a real pain right because now you've got yep. this raid that ran on this system and you got to move it whereas if you had a five whatever four terabyte and i've looked at those i know that I wish that would come down in price too. If you had a four terabyte drive, you simply pull it out and move it somewhere else, get to that data quickly rather than having to deal with, oh my God, I need to get to my tax records. Spurs and it's the same deal even if you have four one terabyte drives not in a RAID. You can still just pull those out and throw them in another system. So, Yeah, although, I mean, there have been arguments that five or four drives in RAID is no less reliable than one drive. I, I don't, I'm not a. I'm not a risk analysis person, but I don't know. I just think the idea of RAID is a pain. Yeah, I personally don't do it. I'd rather, I just have a bunch of separate drives in my system. Uh, okay, another build uh, recommendation. Uh, built myself my first gaming slash work PC eight months ago, centered around yes. a 3700X and a secondhand GTX 1080. 
It's a beast. After reading yeah. Brad's article on PC World about the new Xbox's GPU power, it seems I will be getting outperformed at Christmas by a much cheaper <laughs> system. By the time the new consoles come out, do you think the GPU market will allow me to buy a new card that can outperform the new consoles for cheaper? It's possible. We still don't know 100% for sure what's going to be inside the Xbox Series X, and we don't know the pricing of it. I I suspect that, that thing's going to be more expensive than you think. Like, I would be shocked if it's under $600. We talked about this in the past episode. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if, looking at rumors and leaks, like, it might be substantially more powerful than the PlayStation 5, in which case I wouldn't be surprised if they're just like, yeah, that's $700 for what you're getting there. So we'll have to see that, one. Two, by that time of the year, by the end of the year, I fully expect to have full new lineups from both AMD and NVIDIA's high-end cards. So there's a very good chance you'll be able to find higher-end cards from this generation on sale for great prices by the end of the year. And I know this sounds crazy coming from me, but why even, why even worry about it? Who cares? You just you have what you have and enjoy it. And then... If you are concerned about being able to rub it in your friends' faces, then just get a whatever when it comes out a thirty eighty Ti for whatever yeah. twelve hundred bucks, and then you can say hey. <laughs> but that's yeah. The new simple. Xbox, new Xbox comes out in November. Just wait till February, get your tax return, and buy whatever Nvidia has next <laughs> or AMD. We'll yeah, see. I yeah. mean that that tw- that ten eighty used was probably what two hundred fifty three hundred bucks. I mean, uh, they didn't say. Yeah, uh, Duke. That's a- that is a beastly rig, though. Don't sell it short. Yeah, it's a good rig. Uh, Duke Nukem uh, is asking if we have any experience with the Lenovo Legion laptops that Costco is currently selling. It's purely a gaming laptop, and I'm wondering for the price from Costco if they beat what Asus, Alienware, Razer, and MSI have out there for its price point. Purely for gaming. I personally haven't touched the Lenovo Legion laptops, and I'm not sure what specifically the Costco configuration is. But I do know that Hayden Digman, who does games coverage for us, has reviewed a few of the Lenovo Legion Y-Series laptops, and he actually found them to be surprisingly good in both experience and what you get for your money. He considers them great value, great gaming laptops. So that's what I got. I would say write down, take when you're in Costco, uh, there's no toilet paper, by the way. Go in there, because <laughs> I bought it all. You go in there and you take a picture of the specs and then later on when you're on a real computer, not on your phone, being, you know, where you can't really compare, look up competing uh, laptops um, from various stores, various vendors, and then see if they match in RAM, storage, uh, GPU, CPU, and then screen resolution. And if they, if it, if it's basically the same and it oftentimes is because nobody's really getting great deals except during, you know, great deal time sales. Then it's, you know, and you just want to just be able to pick it up and buy it because Costco has an awesome return policy. They are really good about it. I, I'd say there's a big advantage with that. And then plus you're paying your local taxes. But it's pretty hard for one laptop to be way better because they all basically use commodity parts. So it's, you know, you're not going to get a 2080 out of MSI, and then you're only going to get a 2060 from Legion most of the time. So, mm, there's some variance in laptop. A like. little bit. I mean, <laughs> but a lot of times it's often in RAM and storage. So yeah, those, yeah. those key components of GPU and CPU they often are very similar. 
I mean, I've seen GTX sixteen fifty laptops for selling for nine hundred or a thousand bucks, and there's no way you should ever buy that because they have sixteen sixty Ti laptops selling for the same price. Yeah, but I mean, as long as you're comparing, you know, just why yeah. you got to compare yep. to see what what the open market is charging right now. So definitely yep. do that. But again, that's what's awesome about Costco. You go you go in and you return it. Yep. Uh, I can't I can't wait for three months when people are trying to return like six hundred crates of toilet paper. <laughs> it's like, uh really? You want us to take this back? And they will take it back. <laughs> but it's just so wrong. <laughs> uh Kaz MC uh linked to an article that Kotaku wrote about developers and publishers saying that Google isn't offering them enough money to go on to uh, Google Stadia. Uh yeah, what do we it. think about that? It's a good article. I'm not surprised. I think Google is not going to get much traction by not offering incentive because it's not a compelling platform for developers to target, I think, at this point, to put extra resources in because I don't think they have the user base there. Like, traditionally, you know, consoles, because this is really a console in the cloud. People look at it as PC game, but it's really basically a console in the cloud have been built up by exclusivity deals. Like, if you look at Steam, it launched on Half-Life 2. You know, all the Sonys, all the Microsoft, they pay money to developers to to have their big flagship stuff on there. And if Google's not doing that, it's not a good sign. That article in particular, I believe, was about indie gamers, indie game developers. And I think that Google is trying to court AAA developers at this point. So we'll have to see how it is, but um, as it is right now, I'm not a fan of Google Stadia. So, well, why would why would an indie developer want to spend you know time to even do a game for Stadia? I mean, it's not going to move enough sales. They would have yeah, to pay you enough to do it. It's just not. They need to. That's what all these developers are saying. We need some sort of incentive for this to happen. It was really interesting to me that they just had the Steam World games on there: Steam World High, Steam World Dig, which are actually great games. They've been on Steam for years. You can even play them on your iPhone. Like, that's not going to sell systems, but Google must have given them something to get them on another platform. So, Are, are we going to see, I'm, I'm wondering, this is just conjecture, are we going to see craziness like what we saw with Netflix in the original, in the early days to what Netflix has turned into now and what everybody's trying to do is it's very, very much exclusives, which is you own the studio or you go out and you, you pay for these exclusives. Are we going to see that with whatever Google's doing, um, if Apple does this, if mm-hmm. Amazon does this, where they go out and they say, we're just going to buy these small indie people, have them make well, I think that's what Apple Arcade is. I don't think they're buying studios necessarily, but I think they're paying for exclusivity for the service. Uh, Google has already bought or opened at least one, I think maybe two development studios to make games for Stadia. Uh, and seeing all these developers pull out a GeForce Now, which is the most pro-gamer, yeah. pro-PC thing, I mean, it makes me fear yeah. that that is going to be the way that it's going. Yeah. No, it's, it is unfortunate, right? Mm-hmm. 2K just pulled their games last week, too, so you can't really? play X2 on there. Yeah. Yep. So Unfortunately. You know, sometimes it makes me wonder if... I mean, I know, because I, I very much, I think GeForce Now is, is the leading, is probably the best, most PC-friendly version out there mm-hmm. did nvidia just simply because a lot of people say that they they didn't there were misunderstandings is it it really feels like nvidia just decided to go because they wanted to look like we got all this and they figured yeah. 
things would trail off over as because they I'm I'm sure they fully expected developers to to go go away and want yep. more money. Hey, the long dark got just got pulled off of there, and he said they never asked him about it, but when they put it up there, so. Which, if you subscribe to the idea, is like, I paid for this, and now I'm just playing it on the computer. That kind of makes sense, but I'm kind of surprised NVIDIA didn't do more legal legwork beforehand or whatever. Well, but, I mean, that's why it's... <laughs> the argument would be for they knew people were going to leave, but it looks yep. better to say 400 games, you know, cynically. Yep. You would just sort of... And then maybe they thought that people would just, like, not go because, you know, we think it's cool, right? For what it's worth, and they're still all in the free trial point at this point, so there's no reason to leave it if you're using it right now. For what it's worth, Tim Sweeney, the CEO of Epic, came out and said they wholeheartedly support the platform, and they're 100% going to be on GeForce Now. For all the same reasons that I like GeForce Now and I've said in the past, Tim Sweeney and Epic apparently feel the same way. So, Huh. Really? Yeah. But wait a minute. Yeah. But if I hate NVIDIA because of RTX, but <laughs> I love NVIDIA because of GeForce Now... And you but hate. I hate uh, Epic Games <laughs> because of their own developer store. But I now love Epic because you're on GeForce Now. How does the math work out on that? Because, right? Like, it says like zero minus. I, I'm trying to. It's like that GIF of Zach Galifianakis with all the number signs <laughs> going. <laughs> yeah. I've got time for maybe one more question, Adam. Yep. Yep. Uh, last one. Uh, somebody asked, where is it? Uh, ran. Uh, asked, uh, where is Dolly? It's supposed to be AMD's affordable APU launched alongside Renoir. Uh, why no OEM interested in it? I don't know any specs of it, frankly. I'm, I'm not really. I, I, yeah. I, I am unfortunately really bad at AMD uh, code names. So I, I really wish Intel and AMD would adopt, um, I, my suggestion is celebrities for Intel parts <laughs> and fast food restaurants <laughs> for AMD. I could keep track of that. You could, because you know, oh, well, Burger King is coming out in the end of 2021. Oh, that is great. And then you know, like, later on this month, they're going to have um, Justin Bieber S and then Justin Bieber H. Oh. Right? So you like, uh, it's easy to... I wouldn't want to buy that. No, but I mean, you know, it's easy because it's like something like this, something... Run, I can't pronounce, even pronounce Renoir after all these months and months. I can't pronounce that. <laughs> if I knew about art, would I have this job? I don't know about the actual question. I don't know about this APU that was being discussed. Uh, but I do know they do have the 3000 series APUs out. Uh, I would expect if it's something that you've been waiting for and it hasn't come out yet, I wouldn't expect it to necessarily hit the streets soon because of all the manufacturing issues that's been going on throughout the supply chain. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting, interesting. All right, cool. Gordon, uh, let's uh, let's take us out of here so we can go back into our bubbles. All right, check back next week for your fix of PC Talk on the Full Nerd. For audio listeners, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, and, st- and I almost said Snitcher. <laughs> or Stitcher. Send questions and comments to the Full wor- full Nerd at PCWorld.com. I really can't see this red on here. Also, if you're on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher, please leave a review every time you do. I eat another cough drop. Thanks for coming. I'm Gordon Ung with Brad Charkas. And my Diet Cola soda. Fake Diet Cola. <laughs> and Adam Patrick Merge can hit the off switch. Uh, also, we are on Spotify. You should put uh, Spotify on your oh, list. Oh, and Spotify? Uh, yeah. Yeah, uh, like I that right. Yeah, right. Uh, don't forget Spotify for all you awesome audio listeners. Stay safe out there. We'll see you later. <laughs> <laughs>